once again. Acts chapter number 6 is where we're going to be tonight. We read these verses Sunday morning, but we did not uh, really spend a lot of time in them. So I'm going to look at verses 1 through 7 tonight of Acts chapter number 6. The devil could not stop the church in Acts chapter number 4 with persecution. So the devil used Ananias and Sapphira to cause disturbance in the church in Acts chapter number 5, at least at the beginning of chapter number 5. So the church endured persecution again, but the sin was dealt with and the church increased. Uh, The church flourished in Acts chapter number 5. And then here in Acts chapter number 6, in these first seven verses, there is trouble again, but not necessarily from without. There's some discord and murmuring regarding the way the widows are being treated. There are those who felt mistreated and neglected. And it's interesting in Acts chapter number 5 and then in Acts chapter number 6, two of the first major problems in the church, in the book of Acts, in the church at Jerusalem, deal with money. They have Ananias and Sapphira. They lie about the land that they sold and God killed them. And then you have in Acts chapter number 6, in verse number 1, you have the murmuring, the disturbance, if you will, over the way the money is being distributed and the way things are being distributed there. And here's the truth tonight. When we get our eyes off of spiritual things and on material things, there will always be problems. Always. When we get our eyes off of spiritual matters and get our eyes upon material matters, there will always be problems. When we get our eyes, when we take our eyes off of others and put our eyes upon ourselves, there's going to be trouble. When we begin to think more of ourselves than we think about others, and that's what's happening in the church in Jerusalem here in Acts chapter number 6. And I believe, and you may disagree with me on this, and that's okay, I wouldn't necessarily argue or spend a lot of time debating But I believe we have here in Acts chapter number 6, we have the first deacons in the church at Jerusalem. Again, some people disagree with that. They do not believe that these men were the first deacons. I mentioned this Sunday, but in verse number 2, the word serve there at the latter part of the verse is the same word that's translated deacons in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And uh, I believe these are the first deacons. That's not our focus tonight. Our focus tonight is simply on service. In these first seven verses, what we have here is we have really a a discourse on the matter of service and on the matter of servants in the church. And so tonight, I want to let's read these verses, but I want to speak to us tonight for the next few moments. I want to speak to us on this subject matter very simply help wanted. Help wanted. Acts chapter number six, verse number one. The Bible says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called. Now, now some would say, well, they were being neglected. Someone should have said something. I agree with that. 
there apparently was some neglect and there should not have been. And so someone spoke up about it and the problem was taken care of. But in verse number 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, by the way, let me say this. It's not because they thought that was beneath them. The apostles did not think that the daily ministration of taking care of widows was beneath them. They didn't think that at all. But the reason we're going to find, or we find it right there in verse number 2, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God. They were Their ministry, they were called to the Word of God to study, to give, to prepare. That's what they were called to. Verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, or Timon, however you want to pronounce it, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So tonight I want to speak to us about this matter of, of service, especially here in the church at Jerusalem. And so let's pray tonight, ask the Lord to help, and then we'll get right into the message tonight. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come in the middle of the week and just um, take a moment and really, Lord, just take a sigh and calm ourselves and refresh ourselves around Your Word tonight. And Lord, I pray that You'd help us to do that. Father, You did not save us to sit and to sour. Father, You saved us to serve. So Father, I I pray that You would encourage our hearts about that tonight. I pray that You might even challenge us about that tonight. And Father, help us to be individuals who serve. Uh, Father, individuals who understand that You've given us a gift. Father, You have a desire for us to serve. And Father, may we do just that. Father, I pray that you'd help our children tonight, our teenagers tonight. Father, I pray that you'd use the Word of God one more time to maybe even tonight light a fire in the hearts of some of our children and teenagers. Father, I pray that you'd call some of our young men. I pray that you'd call them to preach. I pray that you'd call them to go to distant lands and to give others the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you call some of our young ladies to have a heart to be the wife of a pastor or missionary, to be the wife of maybe just a good godly man in a local church where they serve together. Father, help her, help him to understand that if they're going to be what you desire for them to be, they need to start that right now. Even as teenagers, they don't have to wait. So Father, I pray that you'd raise up a group of young people in this this place 
in this church. Father, whether they go to be a pastor, whether they go to a foreign land, Father, every single one of them will have a heart to serve you all the days of their lives. Father, I pray that tonight. I pray that every single one of us in here tonight would pray that for our young people. Father, we need an army of young people, as we spoke about Sunday night, who are armed with the truth. Father, if they're going to be armed with the truth, then we need to teach it to them. We need to transfer it to them. Father, I pray that tonight would just be another opportunity to do that. Father, I pray that you protect them and us as adults as well, but you protect them from the temptations of this world. Father, that you'd help them to stay away from the temptations of the world. Father, I pray that you would help them to guard their hearts with your word. Guide them with your word. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for it. Help us in here tonight, Father. We'll, we'll surely give you glory for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you several truths tonight from these seven verses. I want to begin first of all, I want to give us some principles regarding the church. Some principles regarding the church. Let me give you these real quickly and then we'll move on. Because I want to give you five thoughts tonight from these seven verses. Number one, some principles regarding the church. First of all, let me say this from verse number one. The Bible says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, some principles regarding the church, growth is biblical and natural. Growth is biblical and natural. It'd be unnatural for us as human beings not to grow, right? Uh, we, we take children to the hospital when it does not appear that they are growing the way that they should be growing. Okay, so growth is biblical and it is natural. Secondly, persecution brought multiplication. Persecution brought in the church at Jerusalem and in these first century churches Persecution brought multiplication. Uh, we, we, we pray in our nation that things would change, that we would have revival so that we don't ever have to experience persecution. I really honestly believe persecution would be good for the American church. You say, Pastor, do you desire that? No, not necessarily. But do you know that most... Christians or many Christians in foreign lands, they pray for American Christians to experience persecution because they understand what it does for them. Persecution brought multiplication. Now again, tonight, please don't misunderstand, I'm not advocating that I desire for everything to fall apart in America so we suffer persecution. That's not what I'm saying but many times we're so comfortable that there, there's never any progress, there's never any movement. In, in Acts chapter number 5 and, and really in Acts chapter number 8 as well, when the persecution came, the Christians spread out. They, they, they spread out and, and they covered a big swath of territory. And the gospel multiplied, the gospel spread. Persecution brought multiplication. When we persevere and when we deal with sin, growth comes. Multiplication comes. Growth is biblical and natural. Persecution brought multiplication. By the way, let me say this. You know what, you know what persecution also does? It weeds out the pretenders. Because when persecution comes, somebody who's just a pretender, before you know it, they're going to be gone. 
they're, they're just going to kind of just, just slowly and quietly, they're just going to kind of ease on out. Persecution gets rid of the pretenders. Growth is biblical and natural. Persecution brought multiplication. And thirdly, size does not determine spirit. Size does not determine spirit. And here's what I mean by that. Speaking about some principles regarding the church. Large churches have selfish members and small churches have selfish members. Size does not determine spirit. Okay, what does determine our spirit is our obedience and our submission to Christ and to His Word. Okay, that determines the spirit. Size does not determine spirit. Large, small, every church deals with really, you know, we look over the fence sometimes and we think, boy, things are better over there. No, it's, it's the same, just different people. Just different people, same problems, just different people. So number one, some principles regarding the church. Number two, the problem in the church. The problem in the church. Two things here. First of all, there was murmuring from the Grecians. And then secondly, there was a, there was a must. There was murmuring and then there was a must. And by the way, the, the second one, the must, isn't necessarily a problem. But the problem in the church, there was murmuring from the Grecians. The Bible says there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And by the way, I mentioned it just a moment ago. The neglect wasn't right, but the murmuring wasn't right either. The neglect wasn't right, but they didn't have to murmur about it. Okay, They didn't have to cause discord about it. They could have dealt with it in a different way. The Bible says there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. There was a, a jealousy between the Hebrews and the Hellenists, the Greek Jews, if you will. The Grecians. Instead of being thankful for what they were being given, they complained and they wanted more. There was a murmuring. But then there was a must from the apostles. What did the apostles say? We must not leave the Word of God in order to distribute the goods, in order to distribute the money to those in need. There was a murmuring and then there was a must from the apostles. So, what are we going to do? There's a problem. We need to take care of these widows. We need to distribute to these widows. Uh, The Grecians... They're widows. We need to make sure that they're cared for, just like we make sure that the Hebrew widows are cared for. So there's a problem because we must give ourselves to the Word. That's what the apostles said in verse number 2. It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. So we have some principles, and then secondly, we have a problem. There was some murmuring, but then there was a must. And then thirdly, we see the proposal, the proposal to the church. Verse number 3, wherefore, wherefore brethren, so the apostles give a proposal. There's a problem. These Grecian widows, they're they're being neglected. The, the, uh, The daily ministration, the distributing of the goods, the distributing of the money. By the way, the, the tables in verse number 2 referred to were the tables, the benches, the counters where the money was distributed from the treasury. In Hebrew and Greek, bankers were, excuse me, were referred to as tablers. And so they were distributing. If you'll remember back in uh, chapter number 4, look back there real quickly if you would. Look back at chapter number 4, verse number 32. Now by the way, some people will take this passage and say the Bible proves communism. Well, far, far from it. But in verse number 32, and the mo- because this is just a church... It's not a country. It's not an entire group of people. This is a church. 
helping each other. It doesn't prove communism whatsoever. Verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things, or excuse me, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And so that's the idea there. There were widows who had need, widows indeed. Now, let me ask you this. Who is the first line of defense for a widow? According to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Who? Her family. The family is the first line of defense for a widow. But in 1 Timothy 5, it speaks of widows indeed. And that is speaking of widows who don't have any family, who don't have anyone to care for them. And in that case, the church is supposed to help. And so here in chapter number 4, just speaking of uh, the distribution in verse number 35, it's carried over to chapter number 6. And so we find here things aren't being distributed the way that they should. So there was a problem and then there was a proposal. And here was the proposal. Uh, he's, the apostles said, first of all, you must choose men. And then they said, secondly, we've already mentioned this, they said we must commit to the ministry. The proposal, and it wasn't really a proposal, it was just a, a statement. They said, look, you, you need to choose men because we're committed to the ministry. That's what God has called us to do. Verse number 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the Bible says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Then it gives us the list of the seven men that they chose. And in verse number 6 it says, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. I'm thankful that this isn't the case here, but there are cases when churches call a pastor, they give him an itemization of his week, and how many hours he's to give to this, and how many hours he's to give to this, how many hours he's to give to this, how many hours he's to give to this. And nine times out of ten, never anywhere on that list is study. And that's what he's supposed to give himself to. To prayer and to study. And so when you look at that list, you're like, all right, you've given me this list of 60 hours of things you want me to do. And that's fine. Oh, 60 hours is nothing. Okay, but you've already given me 60 hours of stuff you want me to do. When am I supposed to study? Because the pastor is to feed the flock. The pastor is to study and to pray. And the apostle said, look, you need to choose some men. So the proposal, you must choose men for service. Look what kind of men they were supposed to choose. Good men, says of honest report. Godly men, full of the Holy Ghost. Thirdly, gifted men, it said full of wisdom. So you must choose men for service. What kind of men? Good men, men of integrity, men of an honest report, godly men, full of the Holy Ghost, gifted men, men full of wisdom. You must choose men for service. 
And so let me say this now. Again, we're, we're, I, I don't want to focus on the, the deacon side of it per se. But it's a great application here in this verse. You know, sometimes people want to come to a church one week and then the second week they want to be teaching a Sunday school class. Okay, that's not biblical. Nobody in that church knows who you are. They haven't gotten to know you. They don't know if you're a good man. They don't know if you're a godly man or a godly lady. And they don't know if you're a gifted man or a gifted lady. That's not biblical. The, the, the Bible says that we're to lay hands suddenly on no man. The Bible speaks when it gives the qualifications of, uh, of pastor that he's not to be a novice. Because that doesn't necessarily mean young, but it means a novice. It doesn't have uh, experience. New would be the idea. Novice. A beginner. Not an expert, but a beginner. Okay? And so there's a great application here that when men or women are chosen out or are placed in places of service, there ought to be some thought put into it. There, there ought to be some, hey, is this a good man, a good lady? Is this a godly man, a godly lady? And by the way, you'll never know that until you get to know the person. And you get to know people by time, by being around them for a while. Now, that doesn't mean it should take two years. I mentioned this phrase. Sometimes churches and sometimes pastors let people sit and sour. What happens to fruit when it sits? Sours. And sometimes pastors and churches let people sit for a year, for two years, and never have them do anything, and they sour. That's not right either. But the Bible says here, when they chose people for service, the Bible says they chose uh, good men, they chose godly men, men of an honest report, godly men, and gifted men, men with wisdom. And so the proposal to the church, look, you must choose men for service. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. You know, people come in sometimes and they're like, oh man, I, I love working with young people. Okay, well, I, don't, I don't know you. I'm not going to let you start working with our young people just yet. I, <laughs> please forgive me. It's almost a ritual in our house. It's probably a bad ritual. But normally at 6.30, most nights in the evening after I finish supper, we watch Wheel of Fortune. Any of y'all watch Wheel of Fortune? Last night it came on. Any of you watch it last night? The first guy, first grade teacher, yeah, didn't have a wife. First grade teacher. Oh, he was married though. Yeah. But he didn't have a wife. I turned it off. I ain't going to watch that. I'm, I'm not going to watch this guy. You're letting a man who's married to another man teach first graders. 
There is no discernment in that. What do you think is going to happen when a man who has a bent toward other men is around a bunch of little kids? You say, well, Pastor, that doesn't necessarily happen every time. Okay, it may not, but that is not discernment. And so, to, to have someone come visit a church and maybe been there a couple, three weeks and, oh, I like to work with the teens or I like to work with the kids. Oh, not yet. I don't even know who you are. I'm not going to put you with our most vulnerable church members right off the bat. You're going to have to show yourself a person of good report, of men of honest report, the Bible says, full of the Holy Ghost. And wisdom. You say, Pastor, does everybody have to come to the standard of, of, of a deacon's qualifications that are mentioned in 1 Timothy 3? No, but there should be discernment when someone's placed in a position. Amen. You must choose men for service. Good men, godly men. And then he says, again, we've already mentioned this, we must commit ourselves to the ministry, prayer, and the Word of God. Here's the truth. Spiritual Christians make big problems smaller. Carnal Christians make small problems bigger. The apostles took a big problem and made it small. They took a big problem and they took care of it. That's what spiritual Christians do. They take a big problem and they make it small. They take care of it. Whereas carnal Christians take a small problem and they make it bigger. Okay, so first of all, we have some principles. We have a problem. Thirdly, we have a proposal. And fourthly, tonight, we have the priority. What was the priority? Here's the priority. It was the priority of service. The priority of service. Three things here, real quickly, we see. The priority. The priority was a priority of service. They needed people to serve. And by the way, that's what deacons do. They serve. I know not every church understands that. But that's what deacons do. By the way, that's what the pastor does too. But the pastor's the shepherd. And the pastor's to give himself to prayer and study. And the deacons are to serve. They're not to form 10 billion committees to undermine the pastor's authority. No, they're to serve. Just like the pastor's to serve. There's not anything around this church that your pastor will not do. And there shouldn't be anything around this church that our deacons aren't willing to do. And there shouldn't be anything around this church that any member of Maranatha Baptist Church shouldn't be willing to do. Because the priority... Is simply service. The, and I understand, look, I understand there are people who lead and people, I, I get all that. But the priority, even with the apostles, was service. Because they said, look, we're to give ourselves to prayer and to, to study. Why? Because we're here to serve the people. We're here to give the people the Word of God. And so we must give ourselves to prayer and to study. Listen. There are times in my heart when I'm sitting behind a desk, I'm thinking, oh, I just need to get up and go do something. 
And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. You need to study. You need to study. And that's what the apostles were to give themselves to. But even that was a matter of service. The priority of the church, the priority in the church was service. In this passage right here, we see three things. First of all, we see the relief, excuse me, the relief of service. The relief of service. These men, these seven men, relieved the apostles of the business that hindered them from prayer and the word. Okay, there may be someone in here tonight that you look around and you say, well, I see brother so-and-so, he's doing... He's teaching a class and he's doing this and he's doing this and he's doing this. Maybe I could take something off of him. You know what? When all of us get the priority of service in our minds in a local church, it relieves other people. By the way, in Ephesians chapter number 4, the Bible speaks of the effectual working of the body. Okay, what does that word effectual mean? Effective. It's effective when everybody works together. When every member, the the arm and the hand and the fingers and every member of the body works in unison, all the joints compacted together, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, and it is effectual, the Bible says. It's effective. It grows. It progresses, if you will. It's effective as to where if you've just got one body part, one arm, trying to do everything that two arms could be doing, it's not as effective, is it? Effectual. So the priority was service. Service gives relief. It takes things off of others. It takes things off of somebody else who might be doing... Now, by the way, they may love doing it. But they're doing this and this and this and this and this. And you look and say, well, you know what? I could do that. I could do that. Let me, let me, let me go ask Pastor if I, I, I think I could do that. And it relieves another church member. In this case, these seven men relieved the apostles and, and, and the burden on their minds of making sure the widows were taken care of. It relieved them from that so that they could just study and pray. So first of all, there's the relief of service. And then secondly, there are the rewards of service. Many Christians miss out on many blessings because they just don't serve. Whatever that area of service may be. There's the relief of service. There are the rewards of service. And then we mentioned this Sunday morning. I don't want to stay a long time here. But then thirdly, there's the reasonableness of service. What was their priority? What was the church's priority? In this passage right here, yes, the priority was to give the gospel. And by the way, that's part of service. The Great Commission is service. But here in Acts chapter number 6, what was their priority? It was service. It was to make sure that the widows, the Hellenist Jews, the, the Greeks, those widows were being cared for just like the Hebrew widows were being cared for. And so what was the priority? It was service. It was giving of themselves. By the way, the Bible says in verse 5, and we we looked at this man Sunday morning. We looked at Stephen Sunday morning. But in verse number 5, the Bible says, And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. It was the very first one they mentioned. A man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And boy, we know the sermon that he preached in chapter 7, the message he preached in chapter 7. So powerful. 
that it cut to their hearts. These religious people, excuse me, religious people, the high priest, the council, it cut them to the heart. Why? Because it was truth, because it was powerful, because it showed them and revealed them their guilt. It cut to the heart. The reasonableness of service. We mentioned that Sunday morning. We would look at a man like Stephen and we would say, wow, what a Christian. Wow, what a man. Amazing. Extraordinary Christian. Gave his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in chapter number 7, in verse number 58, it says they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said, the, excuse me, said this, he fell asleep. We, again, we mentioned this Sunday, but very, very similar statement. Christ makes on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen says, look, don't, don't lay this to their charge. By the way, in chapter number 6, in verse number 15, it says, And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, speaking of Stephen, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. When does that happen? When you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses came off the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments and his face shone. He didn't even realize it. But he had to put a veil on his face because everybody else, they saw how his face shone and why. Why did that happen? Because he'd been in the presence of God. There was something different about Stephen. The reasonableness of service. Oh, Stephen. Extraordinary Christian. You know what heaven says? Just His reasonable service. Just His reasonable service. And that ought to be us. Just our reasonable service. Well, Pastor, I, I, I can't do this or I can't do that. and Whatever. I, look, I have just as many petty excuses as anybody else. Lord, I... I you know, Lord... You know why I can't do that. And I give some petty excuse. Jesus Christ in heaven says, You know what? All I ask is your reasonable service. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's all about the mercies. It's all about the mercy of God and what He did for us in sending Jesus Christ. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I mentioned Sunday morning Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Ah, great Christians, young men who stood in the face of death and said, Nebuchadnezzar, our God can deliver us. From the fiery furnace. We know He can do it. We trust that He can do it. But if not, we're still not going to bow.
because we serve him. Oh, boy. I wish I had that, that courage and that trust. Well, you can. That was just their reasonable service. Just their reasonable service. The principles, the problem, the proposal, the priority. The priority was service. Serve. You may not be a deacon. If you're a lady, you, you, you won't. But you may not be a deacon, but you can serve. You may not be a Sunday school teacher, but you can serve. You may not work with the young people, but you can serve. You may not sing in the choir. I, whoo, I don't have a good voice. I can't sing in the choir. You can still sing even if you don't have a good voice. They may kick you out of the choir. But I thought it was so funny when all these young men got into the seventh grade and went into the choir. They took my seat and I just kind of eased out and nobody said a word. Nobody said, Pastor, come on back. No, just eased on out and let the young men have it. and Kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, you know. I'm just teasing it. Oh, I don't have a good voice. I can't sing in the choir. Well, you can still serve. Service, that was their priority. And folks, tonight, that ought to be our priority. No matter what the position is just to serve just to help somebody just somebody in need a position in the church or, or, or many times when we're out and about away from these walls in this building it's just about serving people it's about helping people it's about pointing them to the light of the gospel which has made such a difference in our lives has it not? Hasn't the glorious gospel of Christ made such a difference in your life? Well, I'm not where I want to be. Okay, that's, that's okay. Well, I'm not everything I want to be in. And, and, uh, that's okay. He's still made a huge difference, hasn't he? And I'm not even talking about just the missing hell part. That, that's wonderful in and of itself. But I'm talking about the daily life. Boy, he's given us so much. Been so good to us. My priority ought to be just service. Lord, why can't somebody else do this? Nope. Nope. I told the Lord a long time ago, long time ago, the Holy Spirit smoked my heart about complaining, about why can't somebody else do this? And the Holy Spirit smoked my heart. And I told the Lord that day, Lord, as long as you give me health, I'll never complain about anything you want me to do. Because you, you've given me the health to do it. I'm not going to complain about it. You've given me the health. I'm not going to complain about it. Now one day I may not have the health. But Lord, right now, even if nobody else does it, you've given me health, I'm going to do it. Now it would be good if somebody else come along and help a little bit because they're missing the blessing. I don't want to take somebody's blessing away from them. But I'm not going to complain about it. Because the attitude ought to be service. The priority, then number five, the progress. The progress. Look at verse number seven. What happened when these seven men were chosen? These seven men served in a specific area that took the burden and relieved these apostles. 
and allowed them to do what they were supposed to be doing. What happened? The Bible says in verse number 7, in the Word of God, what? What's the word there? It increased. And the number of the disciples did what? What's the word there? Multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith, the progress of the church. The Word of God increased and the disciples multiplied. Increased and multiplied. Increased and multiplied. Increased and multiplied. The Word increased and people who got saved multiplied. The Word increased, multiplied. Increased, multiplied. By the way, who, who were getting saved? Who were the people getting saved? The priest. Man, these are the religious people that they're against Stephen and they're against the disciples and maybe they're part of the council at one time. The Bible says the priests are getting saved. Why? Because men are serving where they're supposed to be serving. And people are having their part. And when that happens, progress takes place. Progress happens. Increased, multiplied. Increased, multiplied. The word increased. You know, somebody tell me, why did the word increase? There's several reasons. I'm not going to pigeonhole you, pigeonhole you with one reason, but why did the word increase? Okay, more people working, absolutely. Okay, liberty of time. For who specifically? The apostles. Because the apostles had the liberty of time to study. Now, I don't think that, I don't think that is the only thing that is referring to there okay so don't don't misunderstand but the apostles had liberty as brother Caleb said liberty of time to study to pray and the Bible says the word of God increased now also because as brother Gene said there's more workers the word of God is increasing and the disciples are multiplying and the Bible says in a great company of the priest the religious people didn't want to have anything to do with this Jesus Christ this Jesus of Nazareth the just one that Stephen speaks about in chapter 7. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. But now they're being saved. Why? Because people are just doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're serving. Help wanted. There are always places to serve. Are we not just going to plug, as Maranatha Baptist Church, we're just not going to plug anybody anywhere. We're just not looking for warm bodies. Okay, does that make sense? And the Bible says there in verse number 3, men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom. Okay. And so the desire ought be, is that Lord, if I'm not everything that I should be to be able to serve in that position, then you know what, I'll just do better. If I'm not everything I ought to be at this very moment to be a deacon. By the way, I I just personally have an issue with with somebody who's just clamoring to be a deacon. Because most people who are clamoring for it are just looking for a position. That's wrong. But if someone in their heart will say, you know, one day I, I, I would like to serve. If the Lord would allow it, I'd love to serve as a deacon. But you know, there's some things in my life right now that I don't meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. So what's the answer to that? 
you do better. You strive to meet them. Men of good report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. So maybe, maybe there's a position you want to serve in. You're not there yet. Do better. And until you get there, do something else. I mentioned this in our Sunday School Sunday, and I'll mention this, and, and we'll be done tonight. Many, many years ago when we first came here, the nursery used to be right here. Remember that? Boy, the kids were... And, and there was a, a door with glass panes in it right there. Kids would throw stuff at the door. Preacher, you're being too long. They'd throw stuff at the door. Actually, it was the nursery workers who were doing it. They blamed it on the kids, but it was really the nursery workers throwing stuff at the door. But the nursery used to be right here. And there used to be a, a, a unit right here inside of a, of a little room, kind of built up a little bit on a foundation there. There used to be a unit there. And in, inside that little storage room where the unit was, there was a little uh, floor sweep. And on the door, there was a little sign that said, please sweep the nursery after, after your time or whatever it said. I don't remember exactly what it said. So it's just a little sign for the nursery workers that when they finished their time, whether it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday, hey, just, just sweep the floor before you leave. And by the way, that was a sign that was put up before we came. I don't know who put it up. Maybe it was the previous pastor. Maybe it was the nursery director. I don't know, but it was there. And I remember walking through there one day with uh, another individual. And that individual looked at me and he said, Pastor, he said, I don't understand why that sign is there. He said, I don't understand why our nursery workers have to sweep up after their allotted time. He said, that's what we, we pay so-and-so to do. And I didn't say anything, but I thought in my heart, you're right, we do pay someone once a week to clean. But you're going to tell me that you have an issue with a nursery worker taking five minutes and sweeping the floor so it's ready for the next time? That's a bad spirit. You're upset because your wife has to take five minutes after nursery time and sweep up the floor so it's ready for Wednesday night because nobody cleans between Sunday and Wednesday. That's what you're telling me? See, that's not the priority of the church. The priority of the church is service. And if I walk through the church, whether I get paid for it or not, and I see trash on the floor, I ought to bend over and pick it up. Most of us tonight, we bend at the hips. Right? If I see some trash on the front, I ought to lean over and pick it up. Well, I don't get paid to do that. That person that gets paid, they need to pick that up. No, it, this is your local church. This is my local Look, this is our local church. We ought to want it to look nice for folks who come. And so if I see some trash or if I see something that's a little bit out of place, well, I'll leave that for the person that gets paid to do it. That's the wrong attitude. And God help us that we would just have a heart's attitude. I don't care if it's in the bathroom. I don't care if I see, hey, that toilet needs to be cleaned. And it's Wednesday night. We're getting ready to start church. 
you know what, let me run into the cleaning closet and get something real quick and I'll clean that real quick. But pastor, I don't get paid to do that. Well, if you'll do it and come tell me, I'll give you $10. Just kidding, I won't. Brother Jackie might, but I don't have any money. So Brother Jackie has all the money. You see what I'm saying? It's just an attitude of service. It doesn't matter if it's a position. It doesn't matter if it's a paid position or a voluntary position. It's just a heart. That's the priority in this passage was just to serve. And when they served, they increased and they multiplied. They increased and they multiplied. They increased and they multiplied. I'm so thankful tonight that there's time after time after time after time that I'll walk through this building and I'll see something that, that's been done. I'll say, oh man, I was going to do that. I don't have to do it. And I don't even know who did it. Somebody just took care of it. They just took it. Why? Because they have a heart to serve. They don't care if anybody knows. They just want to take care of it. Help wanted. Hey, if, you, if you're here tonight, let me ask you this. Where, where are you serving? What capacity, if you're a member at Maranatha Baptist Church, in what capacity are you serving? In what capacity are you serving? Because when all of us work together effectually, things increase and things multiply. Increase and multiply. Sometimes it causes friction too, but that's okay. You deal with it and you move on. Right? Moving parts cause friction, don't they? That's okay. What did the apostles do? They took a big problem and made it small. Increased and multiplied because everyone was doing their part. Father, thank you for the night. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord. Help us to be a people who just want to serve, who do not care who knows or if the right hand knows what the left hand is doing, Father, we, we serve for an audience of one. That ought to be our heart tonight. And I pray that you'll continue to, to prosper and increase Maranatha Baptist Church because of a body full of people who have hearts to serve. Who aren't worried about a title, who aren't worried about pay per se. They, they just want to serve. They want to, they want to make the property look good so that people can come and hear the gospel. They want to go out and knock on doors so people can hear the gospel. They want to teach a class so that a child can hear the gospel. And Lord, I'm thankful for that. Father, may you, all, may you increase us. May that always be the case. No matter how many more years you give us, Lord, may that always be the case. And we'll thank you for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Listen, it's five after I...